James can be summed up in these two words, faith acts, right? As a pastor writing to people who he's not able to see every week, he really wants to uh, help communicate to them the true nature of what it means to be a Christ follower. It's not, hey, uh, oh, I believe that he is this, and so I'm going to do this, this, and this. I'm going to believe the right things. I'm going to be confirmed, or uh, I'm going to have some kind of deal here or here. And now I'm going to set myself up as a person who believes in the Christian faith. He says, listen, you don't understand what it means to be a Christian. Christian is this active living relationship with Jesus Christ. Faith, to say I have faith, is not to simply say I believe the right things. It is to then experience a living, active God through the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And when that happens, my life begins to, uh, to, to live and act and do the things that Jesus himself did. Faith acts. That's his whole point. In chapter 1, it acts in trials. It acts in temptation. It acts in our obedience to the word. He says, listen, the crux of this, Ken spoke about this, is that you can know that you have faith, biblical faith, if you are obedient to the scriptures. If you are not just a hearer of the word, but you are a doer of the word. This is a really, really startling thing for us to understand. Because so often we contend to human nature is we hear something, we're surrounded by something, we've become familiar with something, we begin to think that's who we are. It says, listen, people who have faith are people who hear the words of God and then follow the words of God. That is faith. He says, faith acts by obedience to the scriptures. Faith acts in our impartiality. Remember chapter 2. We treat and see everybody the same. You know, a code today is discrimination, right? We don't want to discriminate for this, that, or the other. And I would say, well, guess what? That's not anything new. That's actually probably born out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The God who creates all, all equal, calls his people to treat all equal. And I know faith is acting, it's living, it's real in my life when I am able to cut through the societal pressures and norms of treating somebody who's wealthy better, someone who's talented better, someone who is this or that better than someone who doesn't have or isn't or is unfortunately uh, went through a series of bad things that's caused their lives to not be desirable. As a believer, if I have living, active faith, I treat all the same. I see all the same. In fact, probably I treat those who are uh, unfortunately uh, uh, positioned in life even a little better. That's how I know faith is real. When I, Bill Gates walks in and sits down and neighbor Joe walks in and sits down. As a Christian, I do not see Bill Gates different than I see Joe. And I do not treat Bill Gates different than I see Joe, than I treat Joe. Amen? I, I'm just telling you, this is just like, 
you know, the preacher grows the most from this. Um, like, wow, God, I have continued to unpeel the layers of maybe my heart where I tend to gravitate toward this or that. As faith, living faith, doesn't show partiality. Uh, he finishes chapter 2 by saying, I'm just going to get to the premise of this. The thought behind it is faith without works, good works is dead. If your life does not have a pattern of good works, then you do not have faith. You have some claim to faith. You have a false faith. Because this faith, this living relationship with Jesus compels, inspires, motivates, energizes you to live a pattern of good works, a good life, right? That's why Paul said, when he says we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, we don't ever earn God's approval, right? Good luck with that. You can do all that you can. You're never going to all of a sudden make God say, well, I think you're good enough now to cover your sin. Only Jesus does that. But what happens is, that after we enter into this life of faith, the nature of this faith can't help but create a pattern, a lifestyle of good works. That's why in Ephesians 2, he follows that and says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. It's intangible. It's inerrant to one another. Faith and works go together. And so he's moved through different areas of our lives where faith acts, where it's real, we got the reels here, right? That's some of the... Um, and he moves to another area of our life that all of us, as soon as I say this, you're going to, ooh, oh, great. Okay? It's this. Faith will act in the way that we talk. <laughs> the average person, not overly talkative, not super shy, average, spends one-fifth of their life talking. If you put all of our words into print, the average person on a single day would fill a 50-page book. In a year, an average person would, say, would fill 132 books of 200 pages each. That's average. One-fifth of your life will be with your mouth open. I'm like, well, what about the other eating? Like, isn't that two-fifths? So three-fifths of my life's open, right? And my mouth's open. Eating and eating, no. Right? This is who we are. This is what we do. And obviously, with faith acting, this living act of faith in Jesus Christ, is going to impact how we talk, what we say, where we say it, when we say it, right? And so, of course, James, just well, the Holy Spirit perfectly navigates. How's faith look in your life? Well, let's talk about your speech. And so this is what he says, and, and we'll jump in here. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Evidently, there was this infatuation with teaching then. There's an infatuation with teaching now. Just like our culture, we are very attracted to gifts and talents, right? And so... Um, when somebody is talented in speaking, we gravitate to that. We might not know the fruit of their life. They might, and we have this happen every year. Some well-known preacher 
who is talented in speaking has no fruit of the Spirit in their life. They've relied on the talents, and it's all crumbled. And now they're in some kind of, uh, uh, of issue, and they're getting bounced from their churches because we gravitate toward gifts and talents. That's always been. And he says, listen, I want to, I'm going to talk to you about something, and I'm going to right up front remind you because there must have been this infatuation with teaching. Right? He says, words are powerful. What I'm about ready to share with you, I want to tell you it's so powerful that you who want to use words as a living or in a position of teaching should think twice before you ever do that. Because words are so powerful that in a teaching capacity, you have the potential to create great harm. And so think twice before you jump in and say, I want to teach. Because why? Words are powerful. And evidently there was groups of people there, and there still are now, that are desiring to be that, wanting to do that. And he says, be careful. Words, words are super powerful. And then he says this, we all stumble in many ways. <laughs> How many of you love this verse in Scripture? I love this verse. Thank the Lord the Holy Spirit put this in there. We all stumble in many ways, right? So the context is speaking. Thank the Lord he said this. He said it on purpose. Because he's going to introduce the power of our speech, the power of what he calls the tongue. The, the words, the Hebrew kind of thing was, um, they would use a body part, but it really is talking about the heart, Right? You have the eyes of adultery. Well, your eyes aren't like, oh, you got an adulterous eye. Like, that eye, like you need to get another eye. Oh, it's the heart, right? Or feet that are quick to shed blood. Well, his feet aren't like bloodthirsty. It's your heart, right? And it's manifested out through your body. And he's, the tongue is about ready. It's really something deeper, right? The tongue. But he's saying, listen, we all stumble in many ways. Thank the Lord. He says this. And I think he prefaces this whole conversation about words, speech, talk, with, hey, I'm here with you. This is, this is really where the rubber meets the road. This is where it's probably the hardest place in the world to allow our faith to live. Is our speech. Um, he says, anyone, uh, think about this, just a second, Let's think about this, in the garden, could it be said, I'm just throwing out something like this, that one of the first, very first sins was slander, because Adam slanders God, he goes, well, the woman you gave me, right? He casts doubt. He slanders the character of God. You gave me this woman. It's your fault, right? Keep trying to do that. It doesn't work anymore. You gave me, the, right? It's there. Think about Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, this important prophet, one of these big pictures in the Old Testament. He gets to see the Lord high and lifted up. And behold, the seraphims and the 
what are the other ones? Seraphims and the cherubims. Whatever, they're weird creatures. I'm fascinated to see one. But, like, they're holy, holy, holy. Remember that? What is the, what is the first thing, what is the key thing that Isaiah does when he's in the presence of a holy God? I'm a man of unclean lips. Like, it's like the, the, the representative of our depravity is in our mouth. And the coals of fire went on his what? His mouth. It's this huge thing. Uh, and it's a way that we can stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. This word perfect, teleos, again, back to Matthew 5, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I think that it's best understood as mature, not absolutely perfect, but as mature. Teleos carries with the idea of maturity, completeness. And he says, anyone who is never at fault in what they say in their words is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And I think what he's trying to say is that actually... As God's Spirit works in our life with our language and our speech, we reach levels of maturity. In fact, the tongue seems to be an indicator for our whole spiritual position, condition. And the way that we see the grace of God changing our lives, moving us into his image, there's a big indicator, and that's our speech. Now, he says, listen, if this word perfect is, there's a not a one of you that's going to look back and say, I said everything perfect. I said exactly what needed to be said. I didn't say what I shouldn't. My tone was perfect, my language, my timing, my word. No one's going to be able to say that. But you can see through your speech area of your life, the growing grace of Jesus Christ in your life. And there is this ever-growing mature, ever maturity in your life through your speech patterns. And so he jumps in this way. And this is what I want to just look at today. I want you to think about the word schmighty. You English people are just like getting a tick. There's no such word as the word schmighty. I made that up. I think. Schmighty. This is the first thing I want to think about when I think about what he's about ready to say about words, tongue, speech. Small, but mighty. Schmighty. Maybe you think that's weird, but if you walk out of here and think of schmighty this week, I did my job. Because it's a weird word, right? Schmighty. Just keep saying it over and over. You kind of kind of grabs a hold of you, schmighty. But um, here's what he says. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make, them, to make them obey this, we can turn the whole animal. When we take ships, and although they're large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder. And wherever the pilot wants it to go, all he has to do is steer that small rudder and it will change the direction. A horse unbridled is a mess. 
it goes wherever it wants. It does whatever it wants. It can be destructive. It's untamed. It's unrestrained. But a little bit in its mouth can even cause a five-year-old to control a powerful horse. Right? He says, and again, just as the bit determines the direction of the horse and the rudder of the ship, so the tongue can determine the destiny of an individual. When believers are able to control their tongue, it can be presumed that then they are able to direct their whole lives. You get control of your tongue, you can control your whole body. This is where faith begins to work in mighty ways. This is where rubber meets the road. This is where, hey, this is a a really important cog of your whole life is your speech, your communication. And faith is real and active when it begins to work in this area of your life. By controlling the tongue, the whole life is directed to a useful purpose. The tongue is schmighty. You tired of me saying that? English majors are just about ready to throw something at me. It's that. And he reminds us that it is this, small but mighty. Don't overlook it. Don't think it doesn't matter. In fact, it's a huge indicator of the direction of your life and the role of living faith in your life. But then it's this, he moves on, and what I call the butterfly effect, okay? You, you, you recognize, with, you're familiar with this, right? I used it on purpose because I figured everybody was familiar with this, this idea of a phenomenon where a minute, localized change in a complex system can have large effects elsewhere. The butterfly effects is basically this. The notion that a butterfly flapping its wings in one part of the world can ultimately cause a hurricane in another part of the world. I'm not saying I believe that, but that's a whole popular chaos theory right now. And it kind of, I figured you would relate to that because you're probably familiar with that. You probably watched the movie, right? What he's about ready to share is kind of that, that idea of the, the butterfly effect because he says this. Likewise, it's, it, the, the tongue is smitey. The tongue is small, a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. It can do great things. It is potent. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. He uses this idea. Uh, you, you probably, somebody was just arrested last year for starting a fire that burned thousands and thousands of acres, destroyed homes, just tore up an ecosystem in an area. Because they dropped a cigarette butt out the window in a dry environment. And a tiny spark can become a raging, destructive fire. He's saying the tongue, small, but your words have the potential. Talk about the butterfly effect. Your words can cause devastation can cause harm. In this context, he's doing a negative thing here, but it also ca carries great potential, great uh, 
ability. You think about fire. Like, fire is that, that one thing that, think about water. You can't, you can have a cup of water, and you can dump it out, and you can't cause a flood, right? What was in the water is now on the floor, and it's not going to all of a sudden multiply itself. Fire does that. It, like, is small and then rages. I love the, the story. For me, this illustration has always stuck with me. Of the, It's a fable story. It's kind of a metaphor story of the young man uh, who uh, is jealous, envious of another young man in the little village he lives in and decides to make up the story and tell a lie about uh, his friend or this other guy. And he starts to spread that lie through the village. And it's destructive, and it causes harm to the other, the other guy. And over the course of a little bit of time, this young man feels guilt for what he's done. He realizes. And so he goes to the local priest in town and says, Father, I have sinned greatly. I don't know what to do with this. What do I do with this? And the priest said, well, I want you to understand something with this. He said, I want you to go home. I want you to find a, a bag and put feathers in it. He said, then I want you to walk out, and I want you to walk through town, and I want you to put feathers on every corner at different streets all throughout the village. That's all I want you to do. Come back tomorrow. Okay? Guy does it, comes back. Priest says, okay, today I want you to now go take your bag, and I want you to go pick up all those feathers and put them back in the bag. The guy says, there's no way. The wind carried it. It's gone. And the priest looked at him and said, that's what I need you to understand about the power of your words, of your lies, of your deceit. What you have done, you can seek forgiveness from that person, but the damaging effects of your words have been sown into the wind because someone said this, and then it was said here, and then it was said here. It's like a raging fire that's out of control. That's what he, James is reminding us of the power of the tongue. And that living, active faith needs to work. It does work in this all-important matter of our communication, of our speech. How do I know that Jesus is alive in me? He affects the way that I speak, what I say, when I say, how I say. It's changing it's not perfect. We all stumble. And yet, I mean, in my own life, I can see it. I mean, I don't know, I always hesitate to say. Like I had I had a filthy mouth. I just did. That was not easy to see God change that, right? And I will admit to you, when I first walked with Christ, it was not uncommon for me to hit my hand with a hammer or something and maybe yell out a curse word. Like, Lord, I've, you know, the word says, I knew the word, I grew up, but don't let filthy language come out of your mouth. Forgive me, right? Now, I can hit my hand with a hammer and I sing Amazing Grace. No, I don't. I still don't. I'm still upset. <laughs> but God has worked in my life that I don't just, 
you know. I just think it now. No. There's something to that, right? He's saying the tongue is powerful. He says all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. If you ever went to a circus, it's amazing to watch one man in the middle of ten majestic tigers. And they are so fooled. One of them, just with half of its, a quarter of its strength, could just devour that guy. And they've tricked it and tamed it. It's mine. So we can do amazing things, taming things. We've done amazing things. And yet, no man will ever be able to tame the tongue. I agree with Augustine and many scholars. He says this on purpose, no man. It carries with it the idea that God himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is able. But you, in your own strength and ability, and me, cannot determine, all right, I'm going to tame my tongue. Good luck with that. It won't happen. You won't do it. I promise you. It'll be a matter of time before you're doing things with your tongue that are sinful. Only God's Spirit in me, a living, active faith, can begin to control my speech in a God-honoring way. He says the tongue, it's, he uses these such big, beautiful pictures. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I remember the psalmist saying, they make their tongues as sharp as serpents. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Think about that picture of a, of a cobra striking, sinking its fangs into your flesh and injecting venom. And then the, the, the consequence of that is your body shuts down, as death starts to happen, as skin starts to decay, as you maybe even shut down. He said that's the picture of the power of the tongue. Paul used it too in Romans. He says, their tongues are open graves. They, they, the throats are open graves. Their tongues, they practice to see the poison of vipers is on their lips. Is he helping us to understand? Like This is an important picture, an indicator. Is, is my faith working? Am I in Christ? Am I walking with the Lord, walking in the Spirit? It's going to affect this very potent, powerful thing that he's given me. That's my speech, my words, my tongue. He finishes with this idea of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth come... Oops. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same stream? No. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives and a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. It's like check yourself because remember what Jesus said? James is just echoing the words of Jesus. Jesus said, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how can you or evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in him. 
this is what he says. For by your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. Now for that positive, encouraging message from Caleb. We all are feeling so wonderful, right? You know, I think it's a good warning to us. So easy, right? And I can praise God, and I can curse man who are made in God's image. So easy. And my faith, active living, kicks in when I'm able to see my speech patterns changed. Think about all these scriptures. I just grabbed a few of them. Peter said, if you would love life and see good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues, they keep themselves from trouble. Haven't you learned that? I have. I've opened my mouth and caused myself a whole lot of trouble. Keep your mouth shut. Like Psalms, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. And in fact, Proverbs says, the tongue has the power of life and death. That's why Paul says, rid yourselves of slander and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with your practices. You see, what I want us to remember as we end is the power of the tongue. It's smitey. It's, it's unbelievably potentially dangerous. But Proverbs remind us and scriptures remind us in another place that just as harmful as it can be, and it's an indicator of, whew, my faith isn't real. I don't have the reals. Because my, you look at my language and my speech and my negativity and my complaining. What is the number one thing God it burned in anger against the Israelites for? Complaining. God hates complainers. Oh, I shouldn't say that. God hates complaining. He hates it, despises it. Read the Old Testament. That speech. Stop complaining. It's so ungrateful. It's, a, it's an insult. It's like when my kids complain. I just want to look at them and say, do you have a house over here? Do I feed you? Do I have all this stuff? And you're going to complain about the fact that you didn't get five minutes of this. Stop! It's insulting, isn't it? Aren't you insulted when your kids complain? I am. Maybe I just need to get off, get off, you know, get, get over myself. I just want to say, hey, look at all that you have, how blessed you are. Why are you complaining? It's the same way God feels. Like I've given you my son. I've given you all the blessings of this life, and you're complaining. Stop. He's saying, tongue is powerful, and it can do great harm. Yes. It can lie and deceit and dishonest. It can be deceitful and dishonest. There's slander and gossip the scriptures talk about. It can be contentious. It can be divisive. Remember the seven things God hates. One is a, one that sows discord among the brothers. God hates that. He hates it. He despises it. There's negativity. There's unbelief. I love this little story I came across um, uh, from a... Uh, a rabbi who wrote a book, Words That Hurt, Words That Heal. Uh, he's lect he lectures throughout the country on the powerful, often negative impact of words. And he often asks audiences if they can go 24 hours with saying any unkind word to another person. 
Invariably, a small number of listeners raise their hand and say yes. Others laugh, but most people say no. I can't go 24 hours. And he responds, those who can't answer yes must recognize that you have a serious problem. If you can't go 24 hours without drinking liquor, you're addicted to alcohol. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. If you cannot go 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, then you've lost control over your tongue. You're addicted. Negativity all the time. Unbelief. It goes with negativity. These are ways that the tongue works death. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Filthy language. Silence. The lack of encouragement. We sin when we don't say words that need to be said to people who need it, especially our family, our kids, our co-workers, those who work under us. We can sin through our silence, not being affirming. But I want to remind you that just as true as it can work death, it can work life. There's a whole other side to this. James tends to focus on, hey, you need to check your faith. And if you're sliding down this negative road, then your faith's not real. You need to, you need to enter into a relationship with Jesus and have a living faith. And stop this negative trend in your speaking. But the scriptures also, in this idea of speaking life, it's not just speaking death, it's speaking life. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. It's just life-giving. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to, his need, to their needs so that they may benefit. You see, just as the tongue can do death, it can work life through sharing truth. Words of encouragement, words of healing, words of confidence, and bringing peace. Speaking life is the way that faith acts. I've thought about this in my own life. And I'm not making a story up to you for just reason of an illustration. There's a couple key moments in my life. I'm in college. My whole life has changed. I'm called to this thing I'm not sure about. Kind of would rather, thought I'd rather do other things. And I remember coming to those moments where, like, I could quit. I can go to another college, pursue another degree. And I had a mentor who not because he gave me a bunch of money, or not because he, he was a professor too, not because he passed me in a class, gave me an A. He did nothing really, except for believe in me. And through his belief in me, he spoke words that inspired confidence in my heart. And I started to believe, hey, maybe I can do this. I began to see where God had a plan for my life and that he could use me and that all my hang-ups and all my struggles and all my self-autonomy that I was wrestling with at the time, that God could actually give me victory 
that I could come to a point where I could be led by the Spirit. I could live this out. And that God could then use me and lead my life. That he could do things like take me to a place called Napoleon, Ohio, which I had never heard of, and could plant my family, my very life and existence, in a place of complete strangers. And he has a plan. He knows what he's doing. And I could surrender to those kind of things. Because that man breathed confidence through his words. He spoke life into me. The power of life is in the tongue. And we, as the New Testament will talk about throughout, not only is it an indicator of, ooh, I need to check my faith, but it's also great potential. The power of this tongue, it can destroy, but it can create all sorts healing and encouragement and positive potential in so many lives. And I want to remind you as we go, James says, your speech is an indicator of your faith. But your speech is so powerful that it can change people's lives by your encouragement, your healing, your affirmation, the confidence that you can build in anybody. And so I thought, you know what? I want to finish this service with this song. It's a little different. You might know it. You might not. If you don't, just listen. You want to understand? They can sit. We got Toby Mac Hartford today. I told him, I told him Tuesday, I said, I want to do this song. And at first he's like, oh, yeah. Then he starts to look at it. He's like, oh, great. Like, it's kind of like, woo. He is awesome, okay? He did spectacular. If you want to follow him, great. I know this song. I'm singing it. We all know this song, I think, or at least have heard it. But I want to leave with this idea on our hearts and minds, the power of the tongue, the power it has to bring life to people. And would you allow the words of this song to sink in as you leave and realize that your faith, not only can it, can it be living and active in growing out of the negative patterns of speech, the harmful patterns, the destructive things, but it actually can become a tool God uses to breathe life over people, to breathe life into this world through your positive, confident, encouraging, healing words come from God himself to breathe life over every environment that you are in. Speak life. So would you sing this morning or listen to the power of these words? Hey, don't be afraid to put your hands together a little bit, like that, kind of. That'll help, yeah. These words are powerful, though. Some days life feels perfect, other days it just ain't working. The good, the bad, the right, the wrong, and everything in between. It's crazy, amazing, we can turn a heart through the words we say. Mountains crumble with every syllable, hope can never die. So speak life, speak life, to the deadest, darkest night. Speak life, speak life, when the sun won't shine and you don't know why. Look into the eyes of the broken heart and watch them come alive as soon as you speak hope. You speak love, you speak. You speak life. Hey. 
imagine words from our lips as the arms of compassion mountains come with every syllable hope can never die so speak life speak life to the deadest darkest night speak life speak life the shines and you don't know why look into the eyes of the broken heart watch them come alive as soon as you speak to share the love of Christ wherever we go, to speak into a situation, to speak hope, to speak truth, to speak love, wherever we go this week. That's our role, the priesthood of all believers, sharing the love of Christ, being the love of Christ. So as we go this week, Father, help us to be the light of Christ in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we think, Father. Purify our minds, make us into a new creation, shape us and mold us, we might inspire and love. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, have a great Sunday.